Well, welcome once again. Um, thank you for choosing to worship with us today, whether you're here in person or on the live stream. A, a quick review, we are in a series called Sent, the Acts of Christians that Changed the World. Um, it's a study in the book of Acts, and the review from last week was chapter 4. Uh, Luke described, Luke is the author who wrote Acts and also wrote the Gospel of Luke, Um, He describes the church that gathered together, worshipped together, prayed together, a church that um, continued to spread the word about the good news of Jesus and his resurrection, a church that gave generously and sacrificially for one another, sharing their possessions as any had need. And we saw last week how the lives of people who give generously and sacrificially are something that the church was known for and that Christians ought to be known for. And even mentioning Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who was an encouragement to all in his support for those in need. Today, though, we come to the other side of the story, the other half. The negative example that Luke gives us. It's, yes, it's in chapter 5, but it's, part, it's cohesive to the story at the end of chapter 4. And so I told you last week, today we would look at part 2. This is Part two, it's a negative example of hypocrisy rather than generosity. And to be honest, as we read it, it could give you a real Halloween scare. No joke. It is the Word of God. You can follow along. Um, we're going to read Acts chapter 4, verse 36 through 511. Did I put 36 in there? Or did I only do 5 or 1 to 11? Okay, yeah, I did. Okay, great. So here it is. This is from the English Standard Version. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But, and here's the second part of the story, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose up, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are here at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Holy God, As we read this story, there's honestly a lot of holies that we would want to say. It can be frightening, terrifying, and yet it's your word. So we ask that you will give us ears that are willing to listen and to hear it, 
hearts that would receive it and the will to put into action the way you would have us live. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Danger, warning, those kinds of signs are everywhere. We see them routinely, regularly. In fact, OSHA requires them to be posted in your workplace, most likely. Right? We see signs like, warning, coffee is hot. Okay, now, in today's world, you probably need that because you can get iced coffee and nitro brews. But there used to be a day when that was obvious. But and in, nevertheless, coffee's hot. Our family went in May this year out to Utah, and we went to hike Angel's Landing, which was awesome. But at the beginning of that trail, there was a sign that said, Danger. I think it was 13, but I can't remember. 13 people have died attempting to hike this trail. Okay. I should pay attention to that. Danger. Warning. The church consists of people who are deeply loved by Jesus, and yet people who are still sinful. And in this case in Acts, people who are willing to put God to the test and put the church in great danger. The Spirit of God gives us both saving grace and sanctifying grace. And those might be big words. To put another way, say it this way. It is the Spirit of God who both redeems and then reshapes our lives to live more like him and to look more like him. And what I am proposing to you today is this, that God showers his love on us again and again, that from his heart and his deepest being, he's a God who loves to pour out his mercy on his people. And that is true. But he is also a God who warns us of great danger because he is a holy God. In fact, what loving parent would not do that? Right? To say that I love you, but because I love you, I will also warn you of what is dangerous in life. And in this story that we've just read today, two people died for telling a lie. And we might look at that and go, that's a little lie. Are we missing something? Where's the great danger in that? And so I want to talk about this and try to explain it to you kind of in a big picture of what's happening and then try to dive into personal lives and apply it. And so the first way I want to talk about this, the first thing, first point is this. Let's look at the reasons for such great danger that there are here uh, in, this, in this story that we've read in, in the Bible today. And the, and the first reason for such great danger is this, that sin is actually... Not something little or insignificant, but sin is actually rebellion against God. We see this in verse 4, if you would put that uh, verse back on the screen for us. It says, many of those who heard the word believed... Oh, no, sorry. That's my bad, Matthew. I messed that up. I gave you the wrong verses. They're chapter 5. So, I'll tell you what. Don't worry about it, and I'm going to read it from my Bible. Here, so, um, that's not his fault. That's my fault. I did that right before the service. Here's what this says. So, um, he says, didn't the, lamb be- didn't the lamb belong to you before you sold it? And wasn't the money yours at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. See, his very point there is that they have lied to God, that they've rebelled against God. Ananias and Sapphira, Peter makes clear, were not required to sell their land as some kind of form of socialism, 
It was their private property. It was their choice. And they wanted to give money. They wanted to help people. And they also wanted to keep some. And there was nothing wrong with that. So what was the sin? He makes it clear. They lied to God in doing it. And why did they lie? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly. There's implicit hints to it. It doesn't explicitly say. But I think what we can surmise from these implicit hints is because of what Barnabas had done, right, and the encouragement was going and how people were sharing their possessions and everything, they lied because they wanted fame and recognition and honor. Laying money at the apostles' feet and having everybody see that so that they could be recognized for it. Maybe even wanting some of the power that could come with that. In other words, they weren't simply giving generously. They were trying to buy something in what they were doing. And that was a great danger to the church. Death is an, is, uh, an immediate result of sin here, but that is not normal. That's not the way it normally works in life. For instance, in, even in the book of Acts chapter 8, in verse 20, later on, we're going to come to a story of this sorcerer named Simon. And he does terrible things too, but he doesn't die right away. So death for sin is true. It's been true from the beginning, the foundations of the world. Sin brought death into the world. But immediate death for sin is not normal, even in the scriptures, right? So why is it here? What's going on? Why is this being told to us? I want to suggest to you that I think it's being told to us because there's a critical moment in the history of what is going on in the church, okay? And it's a critical stage of development for the church. And as it's a critical stage of development, God is very concerned with what's going on. Many scholars note the similarity of this story to the story in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 7 of a man named Achan. Um, Sorry, Joshua chapter 7, I believe it is, of a man named Achan. Man, i got to get my verses and books right today. Anyways, um, so um, Achan is uh, an Israelite. It's a formative time for Israel. They've come out of Egypt, and they are entering the promised land to settle and be formed as a nation as Israel. They have gone to Jericho, and they had to defeat Jericho in order to go, the city of Jericho, in order to go to the promised land. And the way that God has them defeat it is not with weaponry, but to march around chanting. And they march around the city seven times, and then the walls fall down, and, and they have victory. And God instructs them not to keep the spoils of victory. Okay? He says you are to, you are to burn it and to destroy the spoils, not to keep it. But Achan says, man, this is some pretty good jewels and stuff here and silver and gold. And he's like, I'm taking a little. And he takes it and he hides it under his tent. And then the uh, next battle, the next city they come to is a, is a town called Ai. And uh, there they take not as many people because they're confident in what God has done. And they go up to Ai and they suffer huge losses. Lots of their own people die. And they're like, what is going on, God? What is happening? And he's like, it's not because of a small force. It's because you have someone in your camp who has taken what does not belong to him and lied about it. And so they find out Achan confesses that, yes, he, he stole and kept some of it, and he admits coveting and lying, and, and because of that, he dies. It's one of the examples in the Old Testament where somebody does die immediately like that. Again, it doesn't happen all the time. But what scholars notice is that there's a comparison here. A time at which God is doing mighty things, 
miraculous works and the way they have victory over Jericho and they're marching forward and going forward and taking the shape of a new nation. And then here in the New Testament, in which God is doing mighty things by His Spirit through the work of the church being formed, and now Ananias and Sapphira do a similar thing that Achan did that could bring disaster on the community. And so it's a unique event, nevertheless true and sobering. The other thing that Peter says about this, though, the reason for such great danger, yes, sin is rebellion against God, and that's, that's reason for great danger. But the other thing he says here that reinforces this and the actions of what happens is, is he says Satan is behind this. And this is in verse 3 of chapter 5. In verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? He says Satan's at the source of this. He's behind it. This event here, this, this event is bracketed as Luke writes this in verse like 32 and, and even before that back to verse 23 of chapter 4 on into uh, verses like uh, 12 and following of chapter 5. It's bracketed by these summaries of how the church was living, how they followed God, how they were sharing what they had and how the Spirit was working powerfully. And in the middle is an example of the danger of compromise that, that could, that could um, distract the church and collapse things. And in the middle is where Peter says, Satan is behind this. Ananias and Sapphira were trying to get to center stage, which would be a huge distraction for the church. But, so if, if I'm you, and if I'm me, because I'm asking this question, I imagine you're asking the same question, thinking, but, it, but we're talking about lying. Still, we're talking about lying people. Like, the smallest of all sins, little white lies, right? Like, what's harm in that? Is lying really a small thing? I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments, so we should remember that, right? It's, it's not a small thing. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Um, and let's think back about lying and kind of where we first see that in the Bible. You know where you first see that in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, like th- three, pa- three chapters into the Bible, lying's one of the first things. And the way that lying comes about is how? Adam and Eve are walking in the garden, and Satan, whom Peter says is behind this, Satan comes to them and begins to tell them lies, to twist truth, to spin webs of deceit, saying, oh no, God doesn't want that. He doesn't mean that. You can choose for yourself and do whatever you think is right and wrong. Then you'll be like God. Wouldn't that be great? And they're tempted by that, that deceit, that web of lies, and they do the one thing they were told not to do. Take fruit from this one tree. You can have any other fruit of the garden, just don't eat from that one. And they do it, and in so doing, they believe the lies, and they choose to rebel against God and say, we're going to choose for ourselves. We're going to decide for ourselves what should be morally true, morally right, morally wrong. Jesus referred to the devil as the father of lies. Think of it this way for a moment. Lies are distorted words or false words. What is this called in scripture what does scripture call this the word of god the word which is true and trustworthy 
So the very foundation of God in revealing himself to us in the pages of the Bible is to say this is true and trustworthy. And the very attack on that is Satan to say, oh, it's a lie. Don't believe it. And so when lying pops up, it's not a minor thing. It's a serious thing. Because it is challenging the very nature of God who is true and trustworthy. And lying will rip apart a community. So it's Halloween today, as has been mentioned. It's all Hallows' Eve. Halloween comes from Hallows' Eve. And the reason it's called Hallows' Eve is because tomorrow, November 1st, is on church's calendars called All Saints' Day, um, or a holy day. That is, it was a day that was marked to be remembered for all those who have died already and gone to heaven. Um, and it's been a holy day, that is November 1st, has been a holy day in the church since this, at least as far back as the 700s AD. Um, it's traced back to at least that day. Um, but it was also on this day, October 31st, 504 years ago, in 1517, that a monk named Martin Luther posted his 95 theses to a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. That was the social media of the day. If you wanted to get something out and get people talking about it, you went to the local town church door, you nailed your proposal there, and then everybody came and read it and said, okay, let's talk about it. That's what he did. And he had 95 things to talk about. Um, And in so doing... What, one of the things that he referenced in there was what the church had been doing, which was collecting money, which churches do, right? But the church was collecting money for the expansion of St. Peter's in Rome. And what they were saying to people, what some of the, those going around were saying, is that if you give money to the church, then your dead relatives who are in purgatory can be released and get to go to heaven. Now, if that sounds like they're saying, if you give us a little money, you can buy people's way to heaven, that's exactly what was being said. That may sound like a good thing, except for that we would never have enough money to buy anybody's way to heaven. There's only one way, one price that's sufficient for that, and that's Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And so Luther said, there's something drastically wrong with this, and he wanted to reform the church and get them to go back to scriptures. Instead, the church said no, and they kicked him out, and that's what kick-started the Protestant Reformation. And in that, probably another momentous time in the history of the church, things that were happening that were not good, God used to spark a new movement of God's Spirit to continue spreading the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that is freely given to all who will receive it. One of Luther's 95 theses reads simply this, the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When church people and leaders make the, make the most important thing, the, the treasured thing, something other than Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it is of great danger. We should be hearing warning signs and flashing lights like, Danger! Danger! Because that is the treasured thing, Jesus himself. God will have nothing other than that. And so I think that's what's going on 
here in Acts 5. And that's why we are warned about this great danger. But, but to get this at a more practical level to you, I want you to notice the result of what happened. And we see this result in verses 5 and 11, where it says um, twice, after Ananias dies and after his wife dies, um, that great fear seized all who heard about what had happened. Great fear came upon them or seized them. The result of what happened here is great fear. And, hey, it's Halloween. Why not talk about fear? Right? The words do not be afraid occur frequently in the Bible. You could look through this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You will repeatedly see, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. And those are often spoken not to be afraid because of um, people, enemies outside or circumstances going on around people. You might think of Jesus' disciples in the boat with him when the waves are crashing over and they're like, oh no, we're going to die. And he says, don't be afraid. And what is Jesus saying in that moment? Don't be afraid of the things out there that you see. Be afraid of me. You might think, wait a second, I don't want to be afraid of Jesus. Let's talk about fear for a moment, right? Fear is a controlling thing, right? Fear can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, right? Fear can be a bad thing if it makes you do bad things. Fear can be a good thing if you have a warning sign that says that's hot, don't touch it, and you're afraid, and like, okay, yeah, I probably shouldn't touch that. Fear is a controlling thing. It has a grip on you. It controls you. Fear can paralyze you. It can propel you into action. But it is something that controls you, right? That's what fear does. And so here, when it says great fear came upon them, there is a fear of God as a holy God. But the idea is it's a controlling thing. That now they fear God more than anything else. And that's what should be true in our lives. It's good to have a fear of God when what we're saying is, okay, God, and in spite of all that I see, I will trust you because you are good and you are control. And I will trust you and I will fear you because you have captivated my heart. That's a holy fear, a positive kind of fear, not the terror fear. It's a fear of being in awe of something, the fear of wonder and amazement that can be like gratitude and like I will do whatever for this person. And, and so what? What? What does all this mean? How does this apply to my life? Will I drop dead for my sin? You may be wondering that. Ananias and Sapphira did. Well, that's not normal. So I don't think it's likely. Jesus has died for sins. But there's times where people do die. Sometimes that might be because of sin. Sometimes not. I don't know. And it doesn't explicitly, we don't explicitly know that in people's lives. What we do know is this. What is more likely? I think it's much more likely that God will refine and reshape you in different ways. Sanctify you. Put you through challenges, through trials. To shape you into what he wants you to become. What's more likely is you'll be tempted to view your giving as buying something. Fame. Recognition. Honor. Status. God, you owe me now since I gave something to you. That's what's more likely. Rather than viewing your giving as as just treasuring Jesus for who he is. And giving out of a generous and grateful heart. 
So treasure being reshaped by Jesus to serving and loving and leading others. What is more likely than you dropping dead immediately is that you will fall into patterns of lying. That your communication will break down in your marriage. And you won't tell the whole truth or you'll lie straight up saying, no, I haven't done that. No, I'm not looking at porn or, or no, I never said we could go do that. Or no, I never said we were going to spend money in that way. Or no, I didn't do that when you know you did. That lying, that dishonesty sows seeds that begin to fracture relationships. And the hardest thing in the world that we are so afraid of is actually telling the truth. We think it won't go well. But what the Spirit of God always does says, okay, if you tell the truth, I will use that. Now, it may not go the way you think or hope or planned, but he will use it to shape you and to bless you. Won't be easy, but he'll use it to bless you. Lying brings about distrust and division, broken relationships. Remember, like, spreading slander? That's lying. I, I don't know if you, you know this or not, but the Bible talks a lot about lying in the tongue. And, and since this is what they did, I just figured, I, I'm just going to give you two examples of it. But Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. I think I got that one in there, Matthew. You may be right. So see if that one's in there. Um, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Out of the seven things mentioned, two are lying. That the Lord considers an abomination. Right? That's serious. James chapter 3, he talks about and compares the tongue to a spark that sets a whole forest on fire and compares it to a deadly poison because it's our words are so powerful. They shape people, they hurt people, they can shame others, or they can encourage and lift up. They can point to what's beautiful and true, the thing that we should treasure. So treasure honesty. Treasure good relationships. Treasure the hard work of being honest in your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, and kids to parents. Your parents love you. They want what's best for you. Be honest with them. I promise you, kids, like when you're tempted to lie to your parents, you're going to cover it up, and eventually it's going to come out. And there's a good chance they already know about it anyways before you're lying to their face because they're smarter than you think. Just be honest. Repent. I'm sorry. What is more likely than that immediate death is that our church becomes distracted and loses sight of treasuring Jesus. Our mission is to spread the good news about his resurrection and to make followers of him. And that's not something we dreamed up. That's something Jesus told us to do. It's what we got to do. Distractions from that are not good. Tonight, you're probably going to trick-or-treat. Enjoy it. Love it. Love your neighbors. Remember the trick is this, that Satan wants you to be distracted. Wants to change your focus from the thing of treasuring most Jesus to anything else. Right now it's political season. That might be politics. It might be sports because it's football season. It might be whatever else is in season. Ballet, dance, school. I don't know. Anything. Anything at all. Satan would love to distract us. To get outside in nature, which is wonderful. The color of the carpet. 
I don't know, the way somebody smells, anything. Satan to go, oh, it's about that. So that you stop looking at Jesus. The treat is to remember the treasure, to remember Jesus. So here we are on All Hallows' Eve, remembering those who died and are in heaven. Take opportunity today to reflect on this, to talk with your kids about it, about the spiritual world, to talk to them about Jesus who conquered death and walked out of the grave. That should be what we treasure. And that is not dangerous. It's beautiful, and it's glorious, and it is good news. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to remember and to focus on what is beautiful and true and right and noble and glorious, to not be distracted by other things, by deceit and by lying and by slander, by things that would cause division and distraction in church and the people in our mission. But Lord, will you help us to treasure you for all that you're worth, to believe it, that you would be our controlling factor, our fear that we would live in honor of, trust wholeheartedly. And then will you bless us because of that? Pour out your goodness and your grace on us by the power of your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.